from the fully composted studios of PBS 39 at the PPNL Public Media Center in the Christmas city of Bethlehem, PA. It's time for another above ground hour of chemical free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Many compost piles that were started last fall are finally ready to use. On today's show, we'll discuss whether you should use that compost now or let it sit until spring. Plus, former director of the famed U.S. Botanic Garden, Holly Shimizu, joins us to discuss the special relationships between peoples and plants. And of course, lots of your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and furiously facile fulminations. So stop swatting at those fall leaves, cats and kittens, because it all starts right here, right now. At 833-727-9588, Edward, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Uh, Good morning. How are you, Edward? I'm good. I'm I'm very good today. It's a beautiful day outside. Good, good. And where is it a beautiful day for Edward? In uh, Lower Marion Township. Oh, okay, just outside of Philadelphia. What can we do for you, Ed? Well, I have uh, these Mahonia plants. Uh, they're, they're shrubs, and uh, they're 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 getting kind of uh, uh, lanky. They, a lot of the they grow. They have branches that go straight up, and so each plant has about two or three of these branches. These branches that go straight up, and 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 they were they're flower. There are leaves on the branches, except some of them are kind of bare halfway up now and there's just some leaves at the very top and at the very bottom but there's a big bare spot in between and i wondered if i could cut that back if i could prune them and get and get more growth so i'm going to throw out a joke that 90 percent of the audience won't get is this a jerry mahonia plant anybody knucklehead smith jerry mahoney knucklehead smith no no nobody gets it all right Enough of that. How much sun does this shrub get, Ed? It gets uh, maybe. Uh, it, it's supposed to. It, it's a shade. It's a shade shrub, um, but it gets about uh, five, five, six hours of sun. Oh, okay. That's not bad. Is it in a totally wet spot or something? No, no. It's it's uh, it, it, it. The ground is generally a little more moist than other parts of the country because of, we have a lot of springs in lower marion township and the, and the, the water table is kind of high but it's not in a real wet area it's just uh, okay maybe a little you, more your whole township's in a real wet area you're saying yeah and this yeah. was a wet year you know lankiness is generally um a lack of sun but like so many things that happened this year this could just be um water stress now uh mahonia blooms in the spring right pretty kind of blue violet flowers yeah and did you get a nice show of flowers this year uh no i'd say fair okay and uh, what time do the flowers fade do they last about a month something like that yeah okay so you have two choices if you just want to play around and you don't care about the flowering experience you could trim this thing back artistically by a third in the dead of winter if that were your idea of a good time 
The smart money says to wait until the flowers come out, and then when you're pretty sure it's produced all its flowers, you can trim around them. That period, about two weeks after plants begin to grow in the spring, is the safest time to prune almost anything. What you don't wanna do is prune it now because you would expose the plant to winter injury and you would almost certainly destroy any flowering show you'd get next year. And you can, I, you can remove can up- Can I do it before? Can I do it before flowers? I don't really care about the flowers that much. Uh, you can do it right, you can do it before it flowers. What's going to happen is you're gonna stimulate new growth and then if you get a late frost, you'll freeze the plant. Everybody okay. has itchy fingers, Edward. Uh, you know, generally they call right at the worst time to do any pruning. So if you, want, if you like the basic plant and you want it to stay healthy, you can take a little off in the dead of winter if you don't worry about the flowers. And I, I still say the smart money is wait till the flowers appear and then prune around them. And then if you wanna do a little more after that, you can prune a little bit again after the flowers fade. You should always clip off the faded flowers no matter what for the strength of the plant. So after the flowers bloom is the first- Is, the, is, is your the first, first real shot, yeah. Not and now. Will, will there be new, new growth? Well, yeah, there unless you growth? kill it. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I don't see any little nubbings or anything that you usually see, you know, where another leaf will grow out or another branch will grow out. It's, it's, it's just kind fall. of pretty bare stem. Edward, it's going dormant. There's, you know, it doesn't want to grow up. It wants to grow down. It wants to go down into its root system. Do not remove more than one third total of the plant. Do it yeah. at the right time of year. Yes, and unless you set it on fire, it will continue to grow. Great, great, great. Okay. Uh, I've been trying to find this information from all kinds of places, websites, mm -hmm. you know, um, and uh, I finally got my answer. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, good Thank luck. Thank you Ed. very much. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 1-833-727-9588. Chris, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks. Glad to be here. I'm glad to have you here. Chris, where is here to you? Muncie, Indiana. And what kind of a dog you got, Chris? He's a purebred mutt. Oh, okay. Like me. <laughs> Mostly boxer. Okay. He heard the mailman or something. He gets really excited about that. Oh, UPS drivers. There's something yeah. about their DNA that just sets <laughs> dogs off. All right, Chris, in Muncie, Indiana, what can we do you for? Oh, well, I'm involved with my local Rotary Club, and we have a, an ongoing project, which is a, um, well, it's a park. It's a, this long strip of land. And that's adjacent to one of those old rail-to-trail projects. Oh, um, cool. Cardinal Greenway. Um, so we've got a strip adjacent to that that we've uh, been developing over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. um, it's kind of you know, about 70 feet wide, 75 feet wide. Um, there's a couple parts, or well, one part that flares out to about 200 feet before pinching back into a, a single point. Um, and, it's, and about a quarter mile long, um, so just shy of about 1,400 feet. Um, and so what we've been doing kind of over the years is trying to, um, well, this whole strip of land is really well forested. Um, we've got lots of nice trees, but then the understory is also super full of wild honeysuckle. Uh, okay, um, so have you considered goats? 
We have not. Okay. <laughs> First thing I want you to do, see if there's a rent-a-goat company in your area. Uh, hmm. They bring out these herds of goats. They have um, a temporary fencing, move-around fencing. They fence the goats into a certain area. The goats would eat every single one of these vines down to the ground. Then they just move the fencing along, and the goats um, the goats get rid of the problem for you. And obviously, the, no uh, work. Pardon? Even the really heavy stuff. Oh a lot yeah, of this stuff's about a three-quarter inch to a solid inch. You'd be surprised. But then again, that's something you talk to the goat herder about. Okay. You know, see what they're capable of doing. They would certainly make a, a great first pass, a knockdown. Mm-hmm. And then the truth, first of all, global warming, climate change is favoring vines over any mm-hmm. other type of plant. So it's always going to be a watch and see situation. Mm-hmm. Birds are always going to be eating berries, sitting in the trees and planting new vines. Mm-hmm. So it's just, you know, constant vigilance is going to be the price of your liberty. But I would say get some goats through there, and then any second growth, you want to get one of the new herbicides that's made with iron. Hmm. Uh, the active ingredient will be EDTA or HEDTA, um, but these are all different scientific representations of the element iron. Um, Gardens Alive sells their version as Iron X, and I've seen other brands for sale at retail establishments. Right now, it's the safest herbicide we have. It certainly isn't going to kill birds, salamanders, bees, frogs, toads. No danger to the people spraying it. Um, And then um, um, successful use of the wood chip mulch. Start talking to tree trimmers, your local power company. Start collecting big mounds of arborist mulch use that that's a very natural walkway it works great it looks good in these settings it's soft underfoot it's not like gravel which can be a pain in the butt to walk on and then judicious use of this in areas where the vines are trying to come up pile it up higher there just don't let it touch the trunks of any of your trees okay all right man and then, uh... For other parts, should we be planting some low ground cover, like costas and ferns and that sort of thing? If that's your idea of a good time. Okay. <laughs> okay? All right. All right, Chris. Take care. Good luck, man. And thank you for uh, this project. These uh, rails to trails areas are just just amazing. Oh, yeah. We really like this one. So. All right. Good well, luck, sir. Thank you. All right, as promised, it is time to bring on our special guest and an old friend, Holly Shimizu, uh, the retired director of the U.S. Botanic Garden. Now, I have actually her complete arrest record here, and I'll just read some of the highlights. Uh, From 1980 through 88, you were the first curator of the National Herb Garden at the U.S. National Arboretum, which is your competition. That's right. Then 2000 through 2014, you were the executive director of the U.S. Botanic Garden. So I presume the missing parts were you were in prison. (laughs) That and other things. Down in Richmond, Virginia, Lewis Ginter Botanical Garden, and, you know, uh, uh, just really continuing my hand in horticulture and public gardens. And people may know you as one of the hosts on the Victory Garden uh, TV show. That's right. Yes. That's right. 
and you're currently lecturing around the country and traveling around the world. I am. Uh, you were able to join us here in our studios in Bethlehem, PA, um, thanks to the Scott Arboretum of Swarthmore College, right. where you gave a lecture the other night called Healthy Gardening. That's right. So let's get started, Holly. Oh, uh, one other thing I wanted to, to mention is you and I kind of went to the same school, not really. I went to the Temple University School of Communications and Theater. You went to, quote, Temple's Ambler Campus. That's it. Which is our horticultural school. Right. Which I always love to brag to people was the first horticultural university founded by and for women. That's right. So did you find that to be um, an overlay there? Well, it was. It seemed more to be the history, but what I think was unique about Temple Ambler at that time, we really did hands-on gardening. We had our plots outside with Viola Anders, and she made us design and put in our own little flower beds, and we really had hands-on gardening experience, and that was unique to Temple, I think. And I went on to Penn State, where that's where the sciences got really intense. And, and nobody touched anything. No, <laughs> not so much. So it was different. But Temple was a wonderful school. At that time, it was only two years. Now it's expanded and developed with a degree in landscape architecture. Yeah, we alumni are very proud of the horticultural college. Yes, I am. And after Penn State, you continued your education. Well, I did. So I went on to Europe where I was a gardener in England and Holland, Germany, and Belgium, and uh, really learned how to, how to garden in that wonderful English and European way. And then when I came back to the States, I got married to my Japanese husband, who's a garden designer, and then we, um, I got a job working in a garden center and then moved on to the National Arboretum, my uh, dream job. Um, well, the National Arboretum, uh, cultivating the herb garden. Right, right. It was brand new. It opened in 1980, and it was, at that time, the largest designed herb garden in the world. And anything herbal I could get, I grew. And <laughs> I can find an herbal use really, for- uh, Really, Holly? Yeah, uh, almost uh, anything. Know, One that's of my legal in D.C. now, I believe. I think it is. One of my gardeners did plant that. Planted, herbs in, planted yeah. herb in the herb garden. That's huh. right. I found it and I had to take it away because my job yeah. was on the line. And you were out at home. That's so. oh, true. <laughs> <laughs> now, it, it seems unusual, or maybe it, it's typical that somebody would go from the Arboretum to the Botanic Garden. Those are the two big horticultural show places in Washington, D.C. And are they part of the Smithsonian? Uh, I so know that great, they're both free, right? Right, great question. So the National Arboretum is part of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, and it's free, it's huge, 444 acres in, in the heart of D.C. Um, it's a real treasure. And the U.S. Botanic Garden is by the U.S. Capitol, literally right literally by it. When on, I visited you, we took an underground walkway and had lunch right. in the we Senate did. building. We right? did. So we're really part of the Capitol complex, and we're under the, under the Congress, actually, and the architect of the Capitol. So that was um, really interesting to be in that location, because we get over a million visitors a year, and 
So it was really fun to be so centrally located. Very exciting. And um, a great conservatory, great glass house, great exhibits, a little tighter than the Arboretum. Much tighter, so every inch counted. And so really we emphasized a lot planting in the outdoor gardens because I realized, you know, as a botanic garden, you really want to be a kind of plant library and show people all the cool and amazing plants and how they're used and how they can be combined. And that was our goal. I was said, I want to plant every single inch of this. And you did. We did. You did. That, we did. That was full. It was like, I always thought of it as a mini Longwood Gardens. Thank you. Well, I hope, I mean, I love Longwood, but we tried to also really orient to uh, conservation, sustainability, uh, native plants, and things that we believe are so important for people to understand and care about. How often do you think that you got like groups of school children or families visiting the Capitol and then they turn around and go, hey, look at all those plants. Look at that beautiful Victorian glass house. Let's go in there. Too. Oh, I'm going to tell you that was a huge majority of our visitors. They were accidental tourists. Okay. They came to DC. You're an impulse buy. That's right. And they just, they thought, you know, what is that? It looks interesting. Let's try it. And hopefully we could grab them and engage them and they would stay. And so we really started to try to reach out and we could uh, guarantee, I think about 50% of our visitors would be Washington DC tourists. Oh, that's great. It that's is. great. But it's also a well-known private treasure for people who live in DC. Very much, and especially the Capitol Hill community. They love it, they feel like it's theirs. And even Hill people who work on Capitol Hill tell me, and they continue to tell me, that was my saving space. Yep. I came down there when I just couldn't handle it anymore. The stress was too much. I was, or, you know, different things they were upset about. The garden could bring them back into a better place. And I, I, I also have to say that if you're in the D.C. area, if you're like going to the World War II Memorial, you want to do the Smithsonian, um, but you're a plant lover or a gardener, you're not going to see these places prominently listed as you must, you must, you must. Um, but both of them, you must, if you're a That's garden true. lover, if you're a plant lover. And like the um, uh, Oklahoma uh, Oklahoma Botanic Garden, yes. there are these refuges they are. in the middle of this gigantic cluster of buildings it's and everything. So you true. just don't expect it's to so see true. green. It's so true. You really don't. I mean, museums and then office buildings dominate that whole area of the Botanic Garden. And we're the green spot. Yeah. Now, you and I talked briefly yesterday when we were talking about you coming on the show. Yes. And I told you that I was overwhelmed because I had just walked the High Line for yes. the first time in New York City, the elevated railway that had been abandoned for years. What is it about a, a story and a half, two stories above the street level? Yes. And they incorporate some of the old train tracks and railroad ties. But then there's plantings yes. on both sides. There's a nice walkway. Um, there's sculptures that represent the interaction of people and plants. And you talk about a refuge. I mean, yes, we're still in New York because we only had to look like 500 feet to see the latest new skyscraper yes. going up. But 
we're not dodging cars. Uh, you know, there's no food carts up exactly. there. It, you could be in a rainforest. Well, it's the way that New York people can get a touch of nature. And we crave that. And it's essential. And I think we know that more and more. And the th one thing I love about the uh, High Line is it's such a sensation starting to happen all over this country. Cities are recognizing we need wild places and these fabulous rich tapestries of plants. And who, you have to wonder, who was the guy or the woman who noticed, you know, we used to have these elevated trains, whether they were city transit or whether they were commercial vehicles bringing in coal and steel and the structures that they wrote on aren't the best, but they're still there. Yes. And now we don't have to condemn a building. We don't have to take a vacant lot. It's, it is the essence of Manhattan. There's not a lot of land, so you grow up. That's right. You go right. up in the air. That's right, and there's drama in that too. I mean, it's exciting. And in addition, a lot of people comment on the birds, the butterflies, and all the, the habitat effect of the plantings that are on the high line. I, I counted five different native bees on Yay. the flowers that were still remaining. And I want to put in a plug for my friends at PHS, the Pennsylvania Horticultural Society, the people who put the flower show on every year in March. One of their big upcoming projects is uh, a garden that's going to be very similar to the high line. I actually had the chance to walk the railroad tracks that they're going to build it ah. on. And it was exactly the same as the High Line. It's about two stories up. And it starts down by the old Philadelphia Inquirer building on Hill Street, if you know the city. And then it goes for like a mile, mile and a half. And it's up in the air, except at the beginning and the end, when you, when you gently slope down, you can kind of get on or off. Yes. And how many, especially northeastern, mid-Atlantic cities, have these old elevated railways. Yeah, so many do. And uh, I think more and more people are moving to cities. And as a result, it becomes more and more essential that we develop natural urban spaces where people can, can hold on to this connection to the natural world. And where you don't have to take somebody's house. That's right. Or you don't have to use, you can have a park down below. That's right. Or you right. can have a park up in the air. Exactly. And one thing you and I noticed is they built the High Line and suddenly the west side of New York is the place to live, exactly. to build. It has been totally turned around. It has. What, 36 acres of skyscrapers are going in? The brownstones near there, how much more are they worth both in monetary terms and in cultural terms? It's true. Because you can walk out your door, walk three blocks, and go up to this fabulous park in the sky that had, I have to add too, um, had this fabulous little play area for children um, that I couldn't go down into because I didn't have a kid with me. <laughs> you, If you were over 12, you had to... Um, have a child with yes. you and it was this semi underground play area and as we walked past it they had what looked like one of those protective cages over a light bulb yes. coming up and all of a sudden this kid's head pops up <laughs> and it's just what a delightful space oh and nobody really anticipated that it would be so spectacular and such a draw I love that too oh yeah it was Tuesday afternoon and the place was mobbed yes
in a good way. In a good way, right. Now, is this an example of healthy gardening? Oh, completely and absolutely. And I think that a lot of what we try to do in good design is to think about how we can be inspired by natural spaces and then bring them into a garden design. And in my opinion, that's what's been able to happen in the High Line. The planting design is naturalistic, not too formal. Plants, they're good plants, a lot of native plants, a lot of great perennials, a lot of food plants for birds and butterflies. And so it's a really great example of planting design. And anytime you bring plants into a city environment, you are doing great things because plants help clean the air, plants help clean the water, plants are essential to, the, to our health and our well-being. And also the human element of it is as important as any our state of, of wellness. Yeah, you everybody on that elevated walkway who's not dodging a taxi, yeah. who's not waiting for a walk sign, you're That's just right. moving at your own pace, you That's can right. stop and look, you can you can just stroll, you're above the fumes, you're you're above the the gutters. Yep. And everybody up there, uh, their blood pressure must have been dropped by 10 points. Absolutely. And we know now through research, I think we always knew this, but that, you know, gardens are essential to the wellness of humans. And if you're in a hospital and you're looking out the window, if you have a beautiful view, you're going to heal faster. Research has shown the walk through a garden can help lift the symptoms of depression. There are so many ways that being in a garden or being outdoors makes us, puts us in a better state. We're trying to cross Times Square at five o'clock in the afternoon exactly. induces depression. Oh, completely, yeah. Now you have a website and it is your name. Yes. I'm gonna spell it six times because oh, thank you. your, your last name is a dyslexic nightmare, <laughs> okay. Holly with a Y, not an I E, H O L L Y, Shimizu, S H I M I Z U. Yes. And that's your website. What are people going to find there? Well, um, I do some write ups on topics about the work that I'm doing. Um, I do work locally in the area where I live. I also do some work in Costa Rica. Yeah, you're going to be taking a trip to Costa Rica. I am. Rica we're going to do watercolor you're and plants. You're going to take people with you? We are. We're, we're looking for people to sign up and come with us to do watercolor and also learn about the biodynamic farm. It's an eco lodge and it's filled with fabulous medicinal plants and the animals are so gorgeous and interesting. So then what else? American Horticultural Society I'm involved with, and we also have tours, really cool garden tours, and they're pretty amazing because we really go to sort of the best and a lot of private gardens you can't see, and we have an upcoming trip to Malta and Sicily. I found that really interesting. One of my best friends is Maltese, my oh. friend Johnny X, he's watching us right now. <laughs> and to, it, it's almost impossible to describe to people where Malta is. Nobody knows they the, don't. the first time, but it's almost getting kicked by the boot. Yes, in, down yes, at the you're bottom right. of That's Italy. exactly right. And what an amazing climate I know. that must be. But it's also an island. Yes. So it's going to have its own distinct flora, right? That's right. That's right. So I'm going to, I'm studying up on that flora. So I have familiarity with it as we walk the wilds and the gardens and meet the people. 
I got to I got to cut you short. I we're out of time. We could you and I could talk forever. We could. I think there's a bar across the street. Good. Um, Holly Shimizu, S H I M I Z U, is the former executive director of the United States Botanic Garden, right in the heart of Washington, D.C. She's still incredibly active. She's done a tremendous amount, and she, like, like me, I would say, has been a great voice for the environment. And healthy gardening is really the only way to go. Holly, thanks very much for Thank being you, on You Mike. Bet Your Garden. Fun to be here with you. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up in just a little bit, a lot of people finally have finished compost. Should you be using it or should you be storing it? We'll discuss that fascinating controversial question after a couple more of your fabulous controversial phone calls. At 1-833-727-9588, Rosalie, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Well, thank you, Rose. How are you? I am fine. And where is Rose Fine? Fine in Norfolk, Virginia. Norfolk or Norfolk? Well, depends where you got here from. <laughs> we, we are very, very few of us are natives anymore. So you it's, pre- a, it's a military town. Oh, it's a very military town. <laughs> I, I know Norfolk yes. well. My yes. Br- my brother's a school teacher in Virginia Beach nearby, right. and um, Norfolk is a station that just picked us back up again after a lapse, so we're very happy to be on the okay. air there again. All right, what can we do for Rosalie in the place where when the fleet's in, the fleet <laughs> is really in? <laughs> I have had, and they're back again because we have like a second growing season here. Right. Uh, each fall, these things that appear initially to look like dandelions, and there are some dandelions mixed in with them, so that's a further confusion. And they have the long root that goes to China, the way dandelions do, mm-hmm. but apparently there's some kind of legume. Don't know what legume, but... Um, I took out a few of them, and I didn't actually mark those spots, which would have been a scientific thing to do. But this was in the spring, late spring now, where today's um, the beginning of November, and they're back again. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I can probably spend a ton of money on some chemical to spray them. But I don't really want to do that. Okay. So. Now, um, I think I know the weed or native plant uh, it may be that mm-hmm. you're talking about. Uh, mm-hmm. The stalk, the leaf structure, the flower itself uh, resembles a dandelion. Uh-huh. Uh, All right. <laughs> you know, native bees and beneficial uh-huh. insects, they oh. love these plants with the small flowers because it's very easy for them to oh. get there and to get the yeah. pollen. Um, now, who cuts your lawn? Uh, not a, not a service, just, just, just a guy in the neighborhood. And until a couple of months ago, I used to do it. Right. Now, do you make sure he cuts the lawn nice and high at three inches? Uh, 
he does not pick direction that well. So, <laughs> I, so I mean, far. I mean, he's a lovely guy, mm-hmm. lovely guy, but um, I, I don't know that we communicate, if I may put it that way. Yeah, yeah. No, so far in, in 20 years of doing this show <laughs> and seven years of editing Organic Garden, before it. I've never heard of a guy who comes and mows your lawns who wasn't born with earplugs. Anyway, you got a couple of options here. Um, You are actually, whether you know it or not, you're kind of growing a pollinator garden. The regular regular dandelions uh, are tremendously attractive uh, to bumblebees. Large bees love to come to the dandelions. Oh, and they are okay. great pollinators of our foods and fruits. Okay. And that small flowered plant, um, that's attracting very small native bees. Some native bees are so small, they, they are the size of the tip of the pen here, just a little part that okay. comes out. And they All can right. be beautiful colors. They can be black. They can be furry. I have a, a, a race at my home that are golden, diaphanous, with golden wings, just an impossibly small. And they rely on these little flowers. But they're tremendous pollinators. They're still out at my place. They're still working in Pennsylvania, (laughs) which is amazing. But if if you wanted to control these plants in in one situation, say one spot that you really wanted to get them out of there, Okay. You can go uh, to a company called Lee, L-E-E, Valley mm-hmm. Tools, and they sell a device called the water-powered weeder. It's a long wand. You screw it onto your uh, hose instead of a nozzle. You jam it okay. into the ground, and then you pull a trigger, and all the power in your hose goes out like a little laser-tight hole and it pops the weed right up out of the ground while you remain standing. With no chemicals? No chemicals and nothing to ever buy again. You just take good care of the device and you can Mm -hmm. use it for years and years. Sounds good if I want to do that. But I I have another question related to something you said earlier. What was that? About this, I actually have a pollinator garden. Yes. Is that not somewhat of a good thing oh pollinator gardens are great uh no pollinators no food no beer okay no we need we need these creatures around and they're incredibly threatened anything anyone can do Uh to protect pollinators protects us so maybe i don't want to get rid of these you know it's it sounds it sounds like dump the mower and turn the front into a pollinator garden too Okay. Well, uh, we have codes about how long the grass can be. And oh, come and get me, thing. coppers. Come on. <laughs> okay. All yes, right. Just get yourself a scythe and keep it down to the right height. <laughs> I like that. Yes. Okay. Winslow Homer wins again. There you go. Okay. <laughs> All right, Rose. Good luck. Thank and, you so much. And um, enjoy the weather in Norfolk. Oh, it's beautiful today. Yes, I Oh, will. I know Thank it you. is. Yeah. I'm jealous. Thank you very much. All right, you take care. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. 1-833-727-9588. Robert, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call today. Well, thank um, you for making it today, Robert. Where are you, man? I'm in Easton. 
Easton, Pennsylvania, the hot new spot in the Lehigh Valley. You know, I read an interesting thing in our local paper a couple of times now about this volunteer group who's going around weeding and picking up trash and making, I believe it's the West End, look more attractive. Yes, I think it's the Broom Brigade, if I'm correct on that. That's absolutely correct. I'm thinking of trying to get them on if they're doing a lot of weeding, you know, that might be something that other cities that are up and coming um, might want to get involved in because, you know, it's tough to get rid of a blighted building. Um, but if the streets are clean and there aren't a lot of weeds around, I think that changes the complexion of a neighborhood tremendously. Oh, yes, most certainly. Most certainly. They're doing a good job out there, that's for sure. Yeah, so hats off to the broom brigade of Easton, Pennsylvania. Now, what can we do for Robert? Sure. So I got a, it's kind of a weird thing. So I grow red peppers in the summer and uh, I got them in pots. I got three different kinds. I have uh, banana peppers, jalapeno and bell peppers. Um, so what I do is for most of the part, I take them and as the season goes, I, I pick them and I put them in a, in a jar of vinegar because um, I make hot sauce in the wintertime. So mm-hmm. as, a season go, as a season goes, I keep putting the peppers in the, in the vinegar, and I make my hot sauce, which is about now because the season's over. My question is, some of these peppers, I cut them open so they absorb the vinegar. Some of these peppers have black seeds in them, and the pepper right next to it has what I would consider healthy, uh, healthy seeds that are, you know, they're not black. They're, they're just a little bit of an off-white color. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm wondering, are these... Is this a fungus? Is this something I need to be concerned about? Right now, I'm scraping them out and using the peppers and putting them in the vinegar, but I don't know if that's ruined my whole batch of hot sauce that I'm getting ready to make. I'm kind of worried about it, really. Um, so you're growing a banana pepper, which is kind of hot. You're growing habaneros? Uh, yes, jalapenos. Which, I'm jalapenos, sorry. Which, are, which are pretty hot. And then you're saying you're growing your basic sweet red pepper. Is it truly a bell pepper, one of the big four-lobed ones, like in the supermarket? Yeah, I mean, they look a little off because my wife's not been seeing it, so they don't look exactly as pretty as they do in the um, grocery store. But they're, you know, they look like bell peppers, sweet peppers. They're not that hot at all. Um, No, no, sweet peppers should not be hot, even though it's the same uh, genus. It goes from no heat to, like ghost pepper death um you would do better in your climate not to grow full-size bell peppers you might be growing the variety california wonder um which is the classic bell pepper but you might notice that winter in easton does not resemble california and and so you can get really sweet red peppers that are differently shaped Um, things like Horn of the Bowl, a great heirloom sweet red pepper that might look like it's supposed to be hot, but it's an Italian frying pepper, and it's very sweet, and it turns red and ripe in half the time the California Wonder does. So next year, look for the days to maturity, especially on uh, on sweet peppers. They take a long time to firm up, and then, as you know, they they take a long time to color up. So you might want to buy a more short season seed or plant and, and get more peppers. Now, when you cut the peppers open, um, 
you're saying some seeds are black, some seeds are not black. Is this inside the same pepper, or is it from variety to variety? Well, it's mostly happening in the jalapeno and the bell. I've only seen it really kind of happen, I think, maybe to two of my banana peppers, and they were like almost like a light brown color. Uh-huh. Um, the couple of seeds were, but it's mostly the jalapenos and the, and the bell peppers that I'm noticing that when I cut it open, it's just some of those seeds are, are darkened color. Mm-hmm. And, but you and, don't um, see any kind of fuzziness or anything on them? No, like a fungus or a mold, no, I'm not. It's okay. just, it's just uh, the seeds look kind of normal, just, okay. just discolored. Are you, yeah. yeah, are you planning to save the seed? No, what I've been doing is I've been taking the seeds out. I've right. been taking them out, and I, I don't know if that'll... Um, you know, no, no. What I meant was, did you have any plan to save the seed and grow the same peppers out again? No, that's not my plan right now. Oh, okay. Well, then the first thing is, well, then don't worry about it. It's not an issue. Just, you know, <laughs> just rinse out the inside of the pepper, drop them in vinegar, and everybody gets to go home early. Um, but if you're really curious, what I would do, and you uh, well, actually, for what you're doing, you, the peppers don't even have to be completely ripe. You'll get good flavor. But what I might want to do, some pepper seed is black, is naturally black. Seeds come in a whole bunch of colors. If you buy mixed lettuce seed, for instance, you'll see jet black, you'll see pure white, you'll see brown in there. So some peppers could have black seeds. If you want to have some fun, um, pepper seeds are really easy to save. Just scrape them onto a china dish, just like a, a serving plate, something like that, and let them dry completely. Like, sit them on top of a toaster oven um, or, or sit them out in the driest spot in your house, which with winter coming shouldn't be hard. And then when we get into January or February, take some of the black seeds and put those in a little pot with some potting soil. Take some of the white seeds put those in a different pot with some potting soil, um, water the planting medium really well, and keep it moist, and see what comes up. If it's healthy, starts in each. Those are just black seeds, and you know maybe you want to consider, as you get more advanced as a gardener, saving your own seed. Yeah, I'm a novice right now, so that's something I will do. I mean, I have a 12-year-old daughter, so we could do a little experiment at home. Um, so I guess my concern is, so these aren't going to kill me, correct? Correct. Okay, good, good, good. Correct. They're not going to harm you whatsoever. If you think, matter of fact, if it was mold, for instance, when you took the seeds out, you would get a little bit of black on your fingers or you'd see a little bit of black on the inside wall of the pepper. Yeah, yeah, that's not happening. Yeah, I, oh. I, I think it's just a natural coloration. Okay, great. Well, I guess I'll keep my batch of hot sauce and make it this uh, next uh, couple days. And, um, you know, I appreciate you taking my call. Now, are all your plants dead? No, they're not dead. We actually brought them in right before the freeze. They're in manageable pots mm-hmm. right now. I mean, the, the, banana, the uh, banana peppers leaves are kind of droopy and losing a few. Right. Um, but we have a good heated, somewhat lit area in our living room that my wife has kind of put them there. So Okay, so they- just get a four-foot-long shop light mm-hmm. with either regular fluorescent tubes or the new LED tubes that look like fluorescent tubes. Put, put it over top of the peppers. Maybe you want to move them to a different room. They don't need the heavy heat as much as they need the light. 
And when you put the light on top of the peppers, say this sippy cup, this adult sippy cup right here is the very top of the pepper plant. Here's where the bulbs go. Not up here, right here, almost touching the leaves. And you do that, you'll have big full-size peppers to put out uh, next season. Oh, terrific, terrific. Okay, I'll do that. If, and you, go, there... if you go on to the website, go to youbetyourgarden.org, uh, click on Garden Answers A to Z or wherever it says, uh, you know, your questions are answered at Gardens Alive. And then when you, you do that click through, uh, look up perennial peppers. It's one of my favorite things. I do it every year. Perennial peppers. Terrific. All right, we'll do that and we'll give this a shot. And uh, I'm just glad that I'm able to keep this hot sauce. Um, oh, yeah, okay. nothing to worry about there. And, you know, besides, the vinegar's good at uh, denaturing any of those issues. It's actually a, probably a good thing to mention to people you don't want to do this in oil because any kind of oil will breed botulism or any kind of mold, whereby vinegar is perfectly safe to store. It's a disinfectant. It's an antibiotic. It's a shoe polish. It's a floor wax. It's everything. And when should I put these, uh, so after the winter goes, what's about the ideal time to put them back outside? After the nights are no longer in the 50s. 50s, okay. No, okay, or then. after the nights are reliably in the 50s, no more 40s. No more 40s. Okay. okay. All right, terrific. Thank you so much. All right, Robert, good luck. All right, thank you. <laughs> All right, as promised, it is time for the question of the week. Should you use finished compost now or in the spring? Arlene in Silver Spring, just outside of D.C., writes, I hate to bother you, but I'm getting so much contradictory advice. I was gifted with a raised bed on legs, perfect for my achy 80-year-old bones. Should I fill it now or wait until spring? I ask because this is my year of compost. I made it according to your recipe of chopped leaves and coffee grounds last fall, and now it is gorgeous and abundant. I'll use as much as you advise to fill my new bed, but what else should I add to provide the most nutritious growing medium? And when? My raised bed on legs is two feet wide, 48 feet long, 48 feet. Now, come on, that's not right. Inches, McGrath, it's inches. My raised bed on legs is two feet wide, 48 inches long, 30 inches high, and holds five and a half cubic feet of growing medium. Although I gotta tell you, I wanna see that 44 foot long raised bed on legs. That would be a monster. Anyway, first of all, it's no trouble, Arlene. Without people like you asking great questions, there wouldn't be a show. Anyway, congratulations on your compost success, and thank you for bringing the topic up at this time of year, when gardeners in the land of deciduous trees should be doing exactly what you did last year, using a leaf blower set on reverse, that's their vacuum mulching mode, or a bagging lawnmower or some other device to collect and shred as many of those great fall leaves as possible. These shredded leaves are the primary ingredient for good compost making. 
Important point number one, yeah, they have to be shredded or it'll take many years for them to become compost. And if you only collect whole leaves every year, you're going to run out of storage space real easy because shredded leaves only take up 10% the space that whole leaves do. So it's a mitzvah to shred them. Important point number two, the absolute best thing you can add to those shredded leaves is are the spent coffee grounds that are lean used. Those grounds are rich in nitrogen, the primary chemical that gets the carbon rich leaves cooking into compost. Horse and poultry manures are also excellent ways to provide that nitrogen. If such fresh if such fresh material is available nearby, please incorporate it. But don't bother with bag manures. They're no good anymore. Important point number three, do not layer your compost ingredients. Mix the grounds or manures as you shred and pile your leaves. If you isolate the ingredients, composting will be delayed. And important point number four, forget most of the other ingredients that some composting authorities advise adding. Junk mail and newspaper have zero nutritional value. Grass clippings from a chemically treated lawn can kill garden plants even after complete composting. And those clippings should always be left on your lawn. Yes, they should. Kitchen garbage can attract mice, rats, raccoons, and other vermin, and it contributes very little nutrition to the finished compost. Shredded leaves alone are going to make you a better quality compost than shredded leaves with a lot of garbage tossed into them. And now, back to Arlene's actual question. Yes, we're going to answer it. In general, it is better to use last year's finished compost now than to let it sit. Winter rains and snow are going to leach elements out of that compost, and it's just sitting in a big open pile. Those nutrients will be wasted. Yes, there will still be some loss if you spread that compost on your garden beds or your containers, but some of those nutrients are going to remain right where you want them. To maintain the highest level of those nutrients, cover the spread compost with about two inches of shredded leaves. Compost in a sealed bin or tumbler is not going to suffer the same kind of losses, so that stuff can be left until spring. You can also store finished compost in big trash cans, but leave the lids ajar to allow a little air in. You could also cover the pile with a tarp, but not directly. The tarp has to be supported by a wire cage or something similar. You want to avoid smothering the actual compost or it might get moldy. I think that Arlene, anybody remember Arlene? Should fill her groovy new bed on legs now with a combination of a soil-free mix, also called potting soil or seed starting soil. Look for a quality brand that does not contain the miracle of added commercial fertilizers. Mix that with her compost and some perlite. The exact ratio is going to depend on the size of the bags of perlite and potting soil she can find at this time of the year. But roughly half compost and half soil-free mix plus some extra perlite would be ideal. This thing is fighting me here.
If she's not going to use the bed until spring, cover it with something solid like a big piece of plexiglass, foam core, or that sheet of metal you've been praying to find a use for someday. If you use a tarp, don't fill the bed all the way and use bricks at the corners and under the container, under the tarp, to keep that tarp from becoming too smothering. Or plant that bed now. Install three of those live rosemary Christmas trees you see in supermarkets and garden centers this time of year. Decorate them with small incandescent lights and the extra warmth will probably keep the semi-hardy plants alive until spring. Or plant that bed with pansies, the edible super cold hardy flower whose season is September through July. Maybe even try a late run of salad greens. Sow the seeds, Cover the top of that bed with something solid. Check it every day and remove the cover when you see the very first sprouts. If you get lucky and the weather cooperates, you may be able to cut yourself a fresh Christmas salad. Well, that sure was a good take on compost collection and utilization now, wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over in detail, just click the link for the question of the week at our website. You bet your garden .org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to pilfer my leaf pile if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 1-833-PBS-WLVT. And if that staggers you and you then stare at your phone dial for hours, try our other number, 833-727-9588. Or send us your email, your tired, your poor, your wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please include your location when you email us. You'll find all this new contact information at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to lots of your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, and our podcast. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer and suspected producer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our engineer is Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda McGrath. Check out her fine work and stay current with what's happening with the show every day at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our website wonders Anastasia Weckerly. Jazzy Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Kelly Hurd is our video editor. Our floor manager, cameraman, and chief nerd in force is John DeCensis. Tyler Mann is our intern. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. And Tavia Minnick works the phones. Regal Ron Roche, Roche, get it correctly, is our director of underwriting. Our marketing madman is Jim, I got no fancy last name, McDonald. Affable Andy Cummins makes all our equipment work. Late for two meetings right now is our sustainable CEO, Tim Fallon. I'm your host, King of the Compost, Mike McGrath. And I got my first fall run of leaves to start sucking up and shredding. 
So I'm just going to say that you will see or hear me again next week. Now, actually, if you watch the TV show, you see me and you hear me. Maybe you can hang cardboard over the screen and pretend it's like old time radio. You didn't want to watch that 3D plasma LCD machine anymore. Turn it into a transistor radio, cats and kittens. And I'll see you again next week. Or you'll see me again next week. Only if you take the cardboard. Break.